You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. Filling up quickly here. Awesome. So I got a really good walk talk plan for today. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I'm going to go ahead and get right to it while we're loading up here. Today's title is Our House Churches Biblical. So I'm going to dive deep into that. Philippines, Mississippi. Awesome. Ireland. So before I get into that, let's go ahead and get my introduction out of the way. Just in case you're new to my ministry. Good morning. Oh, thank you so much. My name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. Got Omaha. All my books are available. Oh, thank you so much. All my books are available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. We got Waco. Be sure to check out my books if a lot of the stuff I'm talking about is resonating with you or maybe you'd just like to dive deeper. My books, I, I've spent years and years writing books. Now, I haven't written a book in close to three years. Um, so I've got some stuff in the works, but I don't like to talk about that until I get more solid um, dates set. Um, but just know that I have plenty to read up until this point. If you want to dive deep into all of the topics that I talk about, you can check out my books. They're available on Amazon. Now, if you've read any of my books, I would greatly appreciate a review if you would go back to Amazon, leave me a quick review. Those are always very encouraging to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I also have a podcast. The name of my pod podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. I'm recording the latest episode live on Instagram. This is where I record them. When I first, just a little bit of history behind Walk Talks, when I first started these out, it was just a live where I would just get on here and talk for a little bit. And um, I got a lot of good feedback on it, so I started to make it a regular thing. Then I had some people asking me to put it on a podcast, so I did that. So that's where the podcast came from. And then also, oh, and if you're listening on the podcast, pause the podcast, leave me a quick review, and then come back and listen, finish listening to this episode. Um, also, if you're listening on the podcast, you can sign up for my free daily devotional very quickly if you just pause the podcast. I have a link in the show notes. Go there and sign up for my free daily devotional, or you can go to my website and you can sign up there. Now, I'm also on YouTube. Maybe you like watching stuff on YouTube. A lot of people are on YouTube who do not listen to podcasts and are not on social media. Thank you for watching. My YouTube channel is very searchable. So if there's a topic you're thinking about or a Bible verse or something that you're worried about, I might be able to help you refocus on what Christ accomplished and also who you are. So just search that on my YouTube channel. What else? Uh, oh, I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person, just like you. Nothing against individuals who have that man-made title of pastor, but it's just that. It's a man-made title. When we go to scripture and we search for the word pastor in the New Testament, we only find it once in the book of Ephesians, and we see no list of authority. We see no list of qualifications. So we are giving people authority who have no authority, according to the Bible, and also they have no qualifications. So I want to help renew your mind to the easiness of the gospel, which includes you. <laughs> you are a priest. I know when you think of a priest, you think of a specific denomination, but no, that denomination, that position is also error. A priest is simply somebody who represents God, and that's what you are. Peter said we are all members of a royal priesthood, and John said in the book of Revelation 
in the book of Revelation, we are all priests unto God. So it doesn't mean you have to wear a collar. It doesn't mean you have to have a formal education. It doesn't mean you have to be ordained. Ordained is error as well. <laughs> it means you get to be you. I know, <laughs> you don't get taught that much. But the gospel is easy, burden-free, and light. There's no top-down authority. There's nobody in charge. This is difficult to grasp, but this is the truth of what scripture teaches us, okay? I want you to have confidence in who you are and who Christ is and who you are together, okay? That's the mission of my ministry, <laughs> all right? Now, if you wanna contact me, please don't message me on social media. I typically don't interact with those basically because I cannot keep up with social media messages. So to get a hold of me, go to my website, go over to the contact page. I'll be glad to interact with you there. Now, if you abuse that, I'm not gonna interact with you. Also, if you're looking for me to be able to match up to your theology so that you can watch me or listen to me, I'm not gonna respond to that either. I'm not here for you to mark off check marks. Oh, I can listen to Matt because of that. Oh, I can listen to Matt because of that. Oh, I can watch Matt because of that. I'm not gonna respond to that. I don't have to lay out everything so that you'll watch me or listen to me. Don't watch me or listen to me, <laughs> okay? I don't have to have somebody approve of absolutely every point of my theology. I just want you to focus on Jesus. Sometimes I pull that off, sometimes I don't. But I'm not here to make sure you approve of me, <laughs> okay? I get people, they reach out to me. Now, it, on, a, on a different note here, if you're just wanting to interact about some stuff, great. I can typically tell. But if you are here just to run me through your vetting process, no thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> There's plenty of people out there who would, who would love to try to match up to your theology so that they can win your approval. I'm not interested in that. Okay, <laughs> I have nothing to prove, you have nothing to prove, and because of man-made tradition, we think that, all right? Now, um, what else is in my introduction? I think I talked about it all. <laughs> all right, so let's get to today's Walk Talk. Our house churches biblical. Okay, so let's talk about this today. Here's what I'm gonna do for this Walk Talk, and I, We'll do this quite often in my walk talks because I like lists. I'm very organized. Um, so I will have a bullet point about certain things. Today I'm going to list three errors about house churches. So I'm going to tell you what the three are, as I normally do. I'm going to do a little bit of history on the word house in the Bible, church in the Bible. How about that? How about we just go back to the Bible? Find the words, study them, look for the context, and then go from there. Allow our minds to be transformed by the renewing of what the actual scriptures say. Okay, but I'm going to go over those. I'm going to go over the three errors. I'm going to go over church, house, history of the word church, what the word church means, and then I'm going to dive deep into each one, okay? All right, so the first error about house churches in today's Walk Talk are house churches biblical. There's lots of things biblical, by the way. <laughs> I don't like using that word, but it was the only one I could really think of for this walk talk title to keep it short and sweet. There are many things that are biblical that do not apply to you. <laughs> oh, if it's in the Bible, it applies to me, McMillan. What are you talking about? Hmm? Are you sure? Are you doing work on the Sabbath? 
Oh, hold on now. <laughs> You're supposed to be put to death according to the book of Exodus. If you do any type of work on the Sabbath. Oh, I take off on Sunday. I'm not talking about Sunday. Sunday's not the Sabbath. <laughs> it's Saturday. Do you, do you eat bacon? Hmm? It's in the Bible. <laughs> Are you wearing clothes with different types of linen? Hmm? You cannot mix linens. Okay. Do you have a garden in your yard? Do some of the seeds get in with other the, other seeds accidentally sometimes? Oh, you cannot mix seeds. So there's lots of stuff in the Bible. The Bible also says don't touch a bird in a bird's nest. Don't shave the sides of your beards. <laughs> there's lots of stuff in the Bible that we have to read it in context of the cross and the resurrection as well as the old covenant and the new covenant. Okay, so that's what I'm going to talk about today. All right, now, when we go to the Bible and... We search the word house. Okay. Oh, let's back up just a step. I didn't go over to the three. <laughs> here are the three. Here are the three errors about house churches. I'm gonna talk about this. Give you the list first. Just give you a little teaser so you'll stay till the end. Be sure you stay to the end because I think this is really gonna help you out in regard to. <laughs> I'm gonna be gentle today in regard to house churches versus buildings that are called churches because a lot of people they verse them y'all go i got a house church oh that house church that's not how it's supposed to be okay so i'm gonna talk about that today all right so here are the three number one the first error in regard to house churches the first error it's gonna tell you what it is i'm gonna talk about it later okay i'm gonna dive deep into each one of these number one the upper room in the book of acts proves we are supposed to have house churches all right number two when jesus said where two or three are gathered i'm there with them he was referring to a house church okay and then number three house churches are smaller and more intimate than church buildings therefore that's the truth house churches are more small are smaller and more intimate Therefore, that's the truth. Okay, so we're going to talk about all of that today. All right, so let's let's go to the Bible. Let's search some of these words. I always recommend that. So if we just go, a, a search engine that I use is called Bible Gateway. They're not paying me, but it's a great resource. If you're worried about a particular word, go there, type it in, search it. When you search it, it'll have a compilation of all of the times that that word was used. Okay, and then you can read all the words that was used, all the times that word was used in the Old Testament. Then you can also read all the times that word was used in the New Testament. So when you search the word house, because this is about house churches, you will find it about 200 times in the New Testament. Now that's house and household together. Now every single time we find this word house in the New Testament, does it ever refer to the description of a house church? No. Okay. So if we are thinking that house describes a church because the word house is in the Bible or household, that is us superimposing man-made tradition, our thoughts on the scripture. We have to let scripture renew our mind. Okay. Now in the Old Testament, 
that never happened. We, every time you see the word house or household, it's referring to a particular lineage or it's referring to the temple. Okay, the temple is not church. The synagogue is not church. When we go to the Bible, the word temple and synagogue is never described as church. Okay, now what about the word church? A lot of people will go to scripture and they'll find the word church and they'll say right here, this is a building with a pastor, with a congregation. They give tithes, they give, they worship, they go on Sunday and then they go home or they go, you know, have their Chinese buffet and then go home. <laughs> Do we ever see that in the Bible when we find the word church? Is there, is that ever describing anything of what I just mentioned? One single time. No, not once. The word church is used about 115 times in the New Testament, depending on your translation. It's not even in the Old Testament. So the word church is only in the New Testament. I got you right there, McMillan. The church was formed in the New Testament, was it? I can already hear it. <laughs> yes, but what you are describing for church if you are saying church is a pastor with a congregation at a building it's error because not one time do we find that when we search the word church this is simply passed down man-made tradition so when we search the word church and we find it in the gospels do we ever see any of the disciples going to a church no, you don't go to church in the Bible. Even hearing that, you're like, eh, eh, eh. your conscience is seared by the Reformation where they have made this building what it is. But according to the Bible, Clement of Alexandria said this, and he was an early church father and he struggled with lots of error. You know, he said a woman should be, <laughs> should feel terrible because they were made a woman. And I'm, and I'm paraphrasing him there. But here's something that he did say. He said, you do not go to what you are. And that's perfect for this. Because in the Gospels, when we see the word church, nobody ever goes to church. Jesus did not go to church. The disciples did not go to church. They went to the synagogues. They went to the temple. Neither one of those are church. A synagogue was a place of Jewish Torah study. There was no pastor. There was no sermon. There was nothing of what we see today. Okay? The temple. There was no pastor. There was no sermon. There was no congregation. There was nobody up front. This is because of man-made tradition. When we see the word church in the Bible, we immediately think of a building but the Bible never describes the word church as a building. Not once. <laughs> oh, I got you right here. What about the churches in Revelation? Did John not write to the seven churches? Did he not? I already know it's coming. <laughs> That's typically how it comes in the comments or in the emails. Listen, what John wrote to the churches in Revelation, those were symbolic groups of Christians in those regions. John did not write out this symbolic letter. And yes, it's a symbolic 
vision. He starts out by saying, this is a vision. Therefore, if it's a vision, you read it symbolically. You don't read it like any other epistle. All the other epistles were not written in visions. But John did not write to these individual churches, as in, I'm writing out an address to First Baptist Church here, Second Baptist Church here, Church of God here, Pentecostal Church here, Catholic Church here. No, these were, and he didn't stick it in an envelope, put an address on it and send it to him. These were individual groups of the ecclesia in individual regions. And he's not even writing an individual letter to them. He refers to them. Even when Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Thessalonica, to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Ephesus, all these individual letters to the saints in Corinth. He did not write to Pastor So-and-So, number 12 Oak Street, Corinth, and the zip code and put a postage stamp on it. These were groups in individual regions of what's called the ecclesia, which means church. So when we go to the Bible and we find the word church, the original word is ecclesia. Now there are some other words that have been translated to church, such as assembly or congregation, but neither of those mean what we see today. You think that because of the error you've been taught about that. Okay, the word ecclesia means church. Now, <laughs> there were unbelieving ecclesias in the gospels. An ecclesia is simply a group of people who meets together for a specific purpose. There were government ecclesias who came together to judge people. There were Judaic ecclesias who came together to judge people according to the law. We see this in Matthew chapter 18, which is going to be one of my points today. But the word ecclesia, when we see it translated to church, never means a building. It also never means a geographical dot on the map. Okay? <laughs> the word church means called out ones. Now, you could be called out for a specific purpose for anything. We are called out because the church that Jesus established, the ecclesia that he said he would establish in Matthew chapter 16, is based on what? It's based on Peter. Peter is the first priest. He's the first pope. It says it right here. He said he would build his church on Peter. No, hold on. <laughs> he doesn't say he will build his church on Peter. You know, apostolic succession, which is transferring power from pope to priest to pope to priest to pope to priest all the way from Peter, that was created through Cyprian of Carthage, who was a Greek sophist turned Christian. And he lobbied hard for this because he wanted power to be transferred through this line. And he used this passage as proof text to say Peter is the first priest. Peter was not a priest. Peter was a fisherman. Peter took his animal to the temple once a year to the priest. And did that priest bless him? <laughs> did he confess sins to that priest? No, the priest had no power. All the priest did was take the animal, sacrifice it on the altar, and Peter would have his sins atoned for the, for the past year. 
That's it. Peter's not a priest. He's a fisherman. <laughs> so the church that Jesus was going to be, was going to build, it was what Peter had just said. What did Peter just say? You are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say? On this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It's the message. <laughs> it's the gospel. Who is this? It's Jesus. That's what the church is built on. So if you are in a called out group, which you are, <laughs> you may not feel like you're in a group because there may not be anybody around you who stands on the rock, the message that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. No, they, he's just nothing more than a mascot. He's a little dab of Jesus on Christmas and Easter. Or we might throw in his name to make sure people know this is a Christian church. You might feel like you're not part of a group because of that, because you don't want to be involved with that. But you are. You're still called out. You're still a member of the ecclesia. You're, you are still a vital organ in the body of Christ. It doesn't mean you go to a place. Now, if you go to a place, let's just do a little quick little side note here. Go. I'm not saying stop. I am not anti-church building. I am not anti-anything. I'm pro-gospel. I'm pro-message about Jesus. And when you hear this, you can think I'm saying, Matt's saying, church is bad. Nobody should go to church. All this stuff should just stop. I'm not saying that. I have no right to do that but I have a right to preach the gospel. <laughs> go, don't go. But there's nothing in scripture which says thou shalt go. And I've done tons of walk talks on that. So just search it if you're thinking of some Bible verses. Okay, so when we go to the Bible and we look for what our gatherings actually are, how about we do that? According to the Bible, what does the Bible say about our gatherings? Oh, it's all over the New Testament epistles. It's all over. It's in Revelation. It's in the Gospels. It's in the epistles. Hold on now. It's not. <laughs> you think that because you want it to be that. Because your conscience is seared by the Reformation and also by what the early church fathers taught in error. And there's no such thing as a church father. Jesus said, call no man father. <laughs> Were there some old people from the beginning? Yeah. But Ignatius of Antioch struggled with tons of error. Clement of Rome, tons of error. Cyprian of Carthage, tons of error. Tertullian, tons of error. Clement of Alexandria, tons of error. And I've gone over a ton of those. I'm not going to do it today. But old does not equal truth. Those were humans. They are not your father. You have an earthly father. You can call him father if you want. But as far as calling somebody a spiritual father, that is error. Paul mentioned himself as a father twice in his epistles. Neither time was he calling himself a spiritual father. He was referring to himself as an old man. Call no man father. So these errors that were established cause you to think that everything in the Bible is describing church gatherings. It's not. There's only one part of the Bible that describes our actual gatherings. Every other part of the Bible is everyday life 
Think about this. How long are you at a church gathering? Half an hour, an hour, two hours? If you're super holy, you'll get there early and you'll leave late. I'm just joking. <laughs> it's not very long. And it's at a place. How often do you live your everyday life? How often do you wake up and walk into the kitchen? How often do you go to work? How often do you interact with your family? How often do you interact with your friends, your co-workers? How often do you do your hobbies? How often do you A, B, and C? Besides being at a church building, most of the time. But because of man-made tradition and because of the Reformation creating what we see today where everything about church attendance and church building and church hierarchy is superimposed onto the Bible, you think this is church and it's not. <laughs> it's life. So when you read it, you're like, this is, this is, this is not church. This is life. This is not a church gathering or a church building. This is life. Here's the only part of the Bible which describes our gatherings. 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. That's it. That's it. You would have to push your theology onto the Bible in order to come up with, this is church. It's not. Paul is addressing everyday life. They did not go to a place called church. And I'm gonna get into the house church stuff a little bit more deeper, but I wanna talk about this church, this word church, because everybody thinks it's talking about a building. <laughs> and then you get gaslit, you get attacked, you get overpowered with page-long emails of people trying to prove you wrong that this is church, but it's not. And the reason why they think that is because they find their identity in going to a building. And when your identity is questioned, you are going to either struggle with cognitive dissonance, even though you know this is the truth, you got plain as can be proof I am going to find every other reason why I should not believe the truth. This is why. Cults are just splatter blasted with cognitive dissonance. You know this person is not in charge, but you're brainwashed. <laughs> no other way to say that, okay? Or you can have your other option, which is, this is freeing stuff. I like this. This is easier. This is light. This is burden free. Who's that sound like? Jesus. It's Jesus. I have come to give you rest. He didn't say, I have come so that you can get up and go to church at 9 and 11. It's rest. <laughs> First Corinthians 11 through 14. That's the only section of scripture. What do we see in this section of scripture? We see Paul trying to wrangle church gone wild. <laughs> He's saying if you're going to eat together and you're going to binge eat and binge drink, don't do that. Eat at home. Some people depend on communion for a full meal. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. It's not doing it in remembrance of your sins. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What else do we see? Love one another. Take your time when you're sharing. If you're going to express a supernatural gift, do it in control and under order or 
in order and under control because if you have if you have visitors and everybody's speaking different foreign languages and women are asking their husbands in the middle of this gathering there's no order do it in order because if if you have visitors they're gonna think you're bad what else is encouraged in first corinthians 14 even group participation group participation is encouraged when you go to church on a sunday are you ever encouraged to participate in the group oh we have cell groups i'm not talking about cell groups and if you have cell groups why aren't you doing that seven days a week or on sunday and at your cell group all you do is you talk about the syllabus of what pastor just talked about you're not encouraged to share it is a dominant head figure shut up sit down you don't like it get out Elder Bob will see you to the door because he's packing a gat and don't nobody mess with pastor. He is a godly man. Think about it. You're not encouraged to participate. Instead, you have this, what's called a basilica style format. What's a basilica? A basilica was a location in Rome for government functions, entertainment, Constantine in the 4th century was the Roman emperor and he loved the basilica. He loved the Roman basilica. And he also became a Christian, supposedly. Whether he was or not, that's not for me to say. But Constantine took the Roman-style basilica and he created Christian basilicas. That's where we get what we see today. Where it is longer front to back than side to side. There's a stage up front with one person or a couple people or a group of people. And then you have this passive audience The passive audience, in the beginning they stood, and then about the, I wanna say the ninth century maybe, I could be wrong on the century, pews were created. Pews means lowered seats. So not only were you supposed to be quiet and watch, but you were in a lowered seat. And then somebody's up front. They're in charge, they're dominating. They have a pulpit. <laughs> There's no pulpits in the New Testament. The word pulpit is only used once in Scripture. It's in the Old Testament. And the prophet Ezra, priest, stood up, read the book of the law. I think it took him three days. Did he give commentary? No. Was this at a church building? No. A pulpit was simply a raised platform that you stood on so that you could say something and be above people. And that is exactly what we see today. And it is nowhere to be found in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. Nowhere. It's a group. Everyone is to share, but to do it in control, in order, under control. There's no leader. Every time the word leader is used in the New Testament, it is always describing a person who is leading somebody else away from Judaism. That's it. Hebrews chapter 13, Romans chapter 12. These leaders are people. And it's Paul in Romans 12. I think it's Paul in Hebrews 13, but it's, it's not signed. But a leader, according to scripture, is not a pastor. Pastors have no authority. The reason why we see this word pastor is because of Ignatius of Antioch creating what's called the one bishop rule in the first and second century. And then by the time the Reformation began, and 
Ignatius of Antioch gave individual people their own air quote churches, which was just the location, and said the bishop is in charge. Regard the bishop the same as you do the Lord. You cannot do anything without the bishop present. If you perform baptisms and the bishop is not present, that is breaking the law. He started it. Then it evolved into the pastoral position by the time of Martin Luther and John Calvin. They loved this word pastor. And they created what you see today. And we've been practicing it the past 500 years like it's just in the Bible and it's not. And people are aggressive about this because they love the system. But if we go to the Bible, <laughs> and the reason why I love the system is because it gives you power, prestige, money. <laughs> but when we go to the Bible, it's not there. Group participation is involved. Everybody's encouraged to share. Suffer with those who are suffering. Rejoice with those who are honored. Have a meal. How about that? Love one another. How about that? Take your time. We don't see that today. <laughs> but that's what church is. That's a little bit of the history of the word church. And if more people knew this, it would help you understand the freedom that you actually have and this house of cards which has been established and the gates of hell will not prevail over the true church, the true ecclesia, which is the message about Jesus. That's the church. And you have that message. I have this message. Why? Because he has been written on us. He has been written on us. The book of Hebrews tells us this. He has been written on your heart and mind. Okay? All right. So let's go over. <laughs> uh, I know this is heavy stuff, guys. I get it. But give it some time. Just give it some time. Go to the Bible. Study it. And then let the Bible help you enjoy this freedom rather than try to keep the shackles on your mind okay all right and i'm not telling you to stop i hope you feel loved when you watch these i hope you feel loved when you listen to these it is never my goal to get on here and just kick the legs out from under what you believe what you do your your regular you know i don't want to say the word practice because you actually practice righteousness you just don't know that but i am just wanting you to understand it's better it's easier it's burden free it's light and if you're thinking what do we do if this is not what we do go to the bible it's there <laughs> it's there but it, it's gonna it's gonna freak you out because you're like well this is not in control but it is because where the spirit of the lord is there's freedom and a fruit of the spirit is self-control Okay. All right. So let's get into these three errors about our house church is biblical. I talked about the word house, talked about the word church, gave you a little bit of history of the word church and, and all that stuff there. So number one, hope you're enjoying this. Uh, try, I, I cannot keep up with the comments when I do these walk talks. So I know the comments should the whole time I'm doing this. If you're commenting, thank you guys. I appreciate that. Um, and if you're interacting with each other, I love that, but it's hard for me to stay focused. I, I used to try to watch the comments and interact a little bit, but I always get off track, but thank you for, for hanging out with me. It's always encouraging to see, 
somebody here live. But if I had nobody here and I was just talking to my phone, I'd still do this. <laughs> All right. Um, so number one in regard to our house churches biblical. The first error that I talked about when I first began. Number one, the first error. The upper room in the book of Acts proves we are supposed to have house churches. So early on in the book of Acts, we see the apostles, Mary, some women, some other people who met in this upper room, which is just a room on a second level. Okay. And when we see this, did they meet at, you know, eight and 1030 on a Sunday repeatedly? Was there a pastor? Was there a worship service? Was there a plate passed? Was there tithing? Was there people raising their hands in the crowd to be saved? Was there people rededicating themselves to the Lord? Was there an altar that you went and you laid your sins down? Was there anything about what we see in regard to our church gatherings early on in Acts in order to prove house churches are biblical? No, friend. No. You know, a couple other things before I... Well, I'll just talk about this real quick. Most house churches are birthed because somebody went to a church building or a, air quote, regular church, heavy on the air quotes, and they're hurt. Something happened. Pastor got wind of something about this person and the... This person was now in this pastor's crosshairs and they had some type of falling out. So this person said, I'm going to do what's true according to the Bible and I'm going to start a house church. And then they'll go to the book of Acts and they'll see that the early church met in homes regularly. Right there. It's a house church. I'm going to be a house church planter. The problem with this is, there's, there's no biblical foundation to even establish a house church, even according to Acts. Did they meet in houses? Yes. It's typically dry and warm or cool. You can get a cup of water. <laughs> you can sit down, have a meal, conversate. So we're not saying, oh, Matt's talking about you need to meet out in the wilderness or at a park. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just saying... Using the book of Acts as proof text to back up your theology that a house church is biblical, it's just not there. So if you want to go to early on in Acts in the upper room and say that's a house church, there's nothing surrounding that that says anything about that. If you want to go to, what was a couple other rebuttals I got? Oh, Acts chapter 20, when Paul was preaching in a house for a long time, somebody fell out of a window on the third floor and he went down and revived the man. Somebody says, this was a house church. Did Paul not preach at a house? Did, did he? It's in, the, it's in the Bible. Oh, it's in the Bible. I gotcha, McMillan. Paul had a house church. Listen, Paul was visiting. Paul had a, Paul had a group, and it wasn't a house church, in Antioch. Barnabas had a group in Jerusalem. It was not Pastor Paul at church at this specific time and then once the sermon's over you meet him at the front door you shake his hand and then you go off and you 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 go to the local smorgasbord eat your fried chicken taters and gravy that's not what it was it was just paul visiting these people and he talked a long time he preached 
But because of the Reformation, we see the word preach and we immediately think pastor at a state, on a, on a church, or on a, if I can talk, blah, 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 on a stage, on a Sunday. <laughs> but the word preach is never used in the same context as pastor. Again, the word pastor in the New Testament is used once. Do we see any preaching? No. A pastor never preaches in the Bible. You think that because of Calvinism. John Calvin loved this system of the top-down authority with somebody on top called pastor. Then he started places of study. This is where you learn what's called Calvinism. And that right there should be a big red flag because it's somebody's last name and then an ism. Sounds like a cult to me. And then you had the Puritans who sat under Calvinism. They studied Calvinism. They set sail over here, set up all these places of worship. And now here you have this system of a top-down authority with somebody on top called pastor who preaches. But even Paul didn't preach in the Bible according to having a position of pastor in preaching. The word preach simply means, here it is, to speak. That's it. Preacher is somebody who is Speaking. <laughs> so when you find the word preach, look around it. You will not find any pastor doing it. You will not find it in a sermon because nobody gave sermons in the Bible. The word sermon is not in the Bible. Sermons began about 500 years before Jesus with the Greek philosophers called sophists. And they would give one person monologues. People would show up at a particular time of the week they would say what they wanted to say. The audience would clap and then pay them. Sound familiar? Sermons have been shoved into the body of Christ because of Augustine and Christostom and also Clement of, excuse me, Cyprian of Carthage. Augustine and Christostom were formal, former Greek sophists. Nobody preaches a sermon in the Bible. <laughs> People spoke, which means preach. But Acts chapter 20 is not Paul at church. This is not a house church. This is just a house and he's preaching, okay? We also see in Acts 28, when Paul was on house arrest, people came and visited him in his home and he told them about Jesus. Other people say that's, house, that's a house church. No, it's not. It doesn't say anything about that. He can't leave the house. People are visiting him. He's talking about Jesus for a couple years or however long it was. All right. Okay, so number two, the second error about our house churches biblical. Here it is. When Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I'm there with them. He was referring to a house church. Okay, so this is in Matthew chapter 18. So we talked about this previously with that word church in the gospels. Do we ever see it at a building? At a house? No. So it's not the context. When you, here, here's the problem with this. Verses in the Bible were added in the 16th century. Excuse me. Yes, 16th century. Chapters were added in the 13th century. The problem with these chapters and verses is, first of all, there was no rhyme or reason. It was simply for easy referencing to find something quickly. But 
proof texting began in the 16th century with the Protestant scholastics, and then it was perfected in the 18th century, I believe it was 18th, maybe 19th, 19th century, by John Darby, and that is where you take one verse, or a group of verses, you create a doctrine out of it. It was not written in chapters and verses. So if you're going to pick one verse or a group of verses, and then you're really going to take it and you're going to copy paste it over here. Then you're going to create another. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's a, yes. <laughs> but the context of this is not about, oh, I got two people. I'm in a house. This is a house church. I'm a church planter. I'm now a pastor. Now I'm not going to say you need to tithe, but you need to give. See where it goes? This is not about a house church. Matthew chapter 18 is Jesus saying, if you want to gather in my name, you can judge others according to me. Read before it. How about that? <laughs> Read around it. This entire chapter is Jesus laying down the true standards of the law, just like he did in the Sermon on the Mount, to those who thought they were doing a good job of obeying the law. And they weren't. You have to be perfect like God, he said in Matthew 5, 48, if you're wanting to do that. So what does Jesus do? He ups the ante by exposing the true standards. He begins Matthew chapter 18. And when Matthew wrote this, it wasn't like Matthew chapter 18. It was just him writing. He talks about if you cause a child to break a commandment in the law, it's going to be bad for you. You know, many people say, you know, if you cause a child to sin, you're going to hell. No, that's not what this is about. This is sinning according to breaking a transgression in the law, which is 613 commandments. This wasn't just a random sin. Okay, and then he continues. And then he talks about judging people when, when somebody can't agree on something or if they're, if they're really wanting to get to the bottom of it. Gather two or three witnesses and then by the testimony of those two or three witnesses, then judge that person. We see this played out in John chapter 8 with the woman caught in adultery. Threw her at the feet of Jesus. And then they try to trap Jesus. What does the law say we should do, Jesus? They're judging her by the group, condemning her. But Jesus said, if you gather two or three in my name, in my name, they didn't gather in his name. They gathered in the name of Moses. And what happens? He who is without the first stone cast the first, he who is without sin cast the first stone. They dropped the rocks and they kicked rocks because they knew if you're going to go find a sin according to the law and then gather people together and then condemn that person, all of you are guilty. So you're not going to condemn this woman caught in adultery. Plus, where's the guy? It takes two to commit adultery. I think he was in the crowd with a rock. Jesus says, where's your accusers? Nowhere. I don't accuse you either. You are not condemned. Why? Because she was just judged according to trusting Jesus, not according to trusting the law. And that is the context of Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. 
And then people will say, no, she said, he said, go and sin no more. Did she, what did he say right there? Go and sin no more. Why did he say that? Well, <laughs> if she did this again, he probably wasn't going to be there and she was going to get stoned to death. They're not going to bring Jesus in the next time. So stop sinning according to these snakes, <laughs> these brutes of vipers, these whitewashed tombs, because you have a bullseye on your back now. So go and sin no more. Don't do this again. You're going to die. And it is a good thing to not sin, but that is not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is to trust the spirit of Jesus Christ within you and express him. That's it. You know, I get so many emails, people just asking me about particular sins. And I'm just like, look, it, it seems to me you don't like it. You're holy. Do it until you die. You're going to be miserable the whole time. You might have a little season of <laughs> denial, but in here you still know because the spirit of Jesus Christ lives in here and you're holy. You want what he wants. So many people hear this message about the gospel and they think it's a license to sin. The law is a license to sin. Because all you got to do is repent or confess or go or stop. That is a license to sin. And according to the law, you actually you didn't even get forgiven that way. You had to present your animal at the temple once a year. And you had to be Jewish. Okay. Nobody needs a license to sin. Everybody sins every day just fine without a license. We have a license of righteousness. That is our practice. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Jesus became sin so that you can become righteous. Simple. It's a divine trade-off. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still sinning. Okay, figure something else out except for saying you're sinful because you're not. Jesus absorbed your sin. Yeah, but I'm sinning. I know you're a saint who's sinning. How's, how's that working for you? It's going to cause problems in your life. It's going to cause destruction. Your mind is not going to be at peace. Your relationships are going to fall apart. Stuff is going to happen. But here's what you don't need to worry about. Heavenly consequences. Why? Jesus, Jesus. Repent for a different reason other than thinks God's getting you because he won't. He got Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. That's, that's always my backing when somebody's like, oh, you're just giving people. You're just telling them to sin, McMillan. You're telling them to sin. See what they do? Their sin-saturated mind cannot fathom the propitiation that happened on Golgotha. They might be saved, <laughs> but their conscience is seared with sin because they hear the ministry of death and condemnation every Sunday. Try harder, do better, don't sin, give it your best shot. God will grade you on the curve. You're going to get a bunch of stuff in heaven if you do a bunch of stuff on earth. Error! All right, where was I? Oh, let's see. Let's just go on to the next one. <laughs> Number three, the third error in regard to our house church is biblical. What was the third error? Had these memorized. Okay. House churches are better than church buildings because they're smaller and more intimate. Now, hold on just for a second. <laughs> 
There are cults which are small and intimate. Does that make them better? The size of the gathering is not what matters. It is the message. Is it built on the gospel? Is it built on you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God? Is it built on who you are because of what Christ has done? Is it? That's a good place to be. <laughs> but it's not church. You are the church. You are the ecclesia. And if that's not the message, it doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. It's not a good place to be. <laughs> the size does not matter of your church. Big does not mean bad. Smaller does not mean better. The message about Jesus matters. A lot of these house churches, which have spun off because of being kicked out of an actual church building or some type of falling out at actual church building, they are nothing more than miniature church buildings at a house. <laughs> Still a church, air quote, building, only with a house cap on it. They still got a pastor, still got a leadership, still got giving, according to getting. I'm not saying don't give. I'm done. You are a natural giver, okay? You want to give. But it, still a commandment to give, okay? And a lot of them are just glorified Bible studies. That's not what 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 shows us. Smaller does not mean better. Better means the message. What's the message about? What is the message? Is this message causing me to try harder once I hear it? Then it's not the right message. Is it causing me to trust Jesus more? Then yes, that's the right message. <laughs> is it encouraging me in my righteousness? Is it convicting me of my righteousness? Because that's what the Bible says. We are convicted of our righteousness. Unbelievers are convicted of sin. Is it convicting me of my righteousness? When I sin, am I being told, nope, you're still righteous? Then yes. Good message. <laughs> is it about the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Does it... Does it have everything built on top of this rock? Or is it sinking sand of a pastoral structure with pastors in charge, king of the church, and then you got your elders, and then you got the laity. Oh, yes, Lord, the laity. Let me kiss your hand, Lord. Oh, let me be blessed. Is that what it is? Only at a house? The message matters. Not the building. <laughs> Not the place. The message, the message, and it's got to be about Jesus. Every excuse you come up with which opposes the easiness of the gospel and opposes who you now are because you've trusted in Jesus is error. And if you are hearing error, you are not hearing the truth. And it is the truth that sets you free in your mind. You could already be free, but you're sitting in this cell, listening to dung, consuming it. I got to be fed. I got to go to the house of the Lord and be fed. You are full. Jesus said, he who comes to me will hunger and thirst no more. You are stuffed to the brim. You can't get any more full. 
Now you can go, you can have your mind renewed. That's good. But that renewal is just going to remind you about Jesus and about you. Yes, you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're a new creation. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You can have confidence. In this world, you're like Jesus. You hearing that? At a church building? Or a house church? Are you hearing it? That's the question. All right. Oh, okay, so, so what's the truth? Our, our house church is biblical. No, friend, sorry. I'm not telling you to stop having your house church if you have one and you're listening or watching. But according to the Bible, it's, it's not biblical. It's not there. Sorry. If you're gathering at a house, okay. But that's not a house church. You are the house church. I am the house church. Hebrews 3, 6 and Hebrews 10, 21 both say we are the house of God and we are the church. <laughs> so we are the house church. We are the house of God. All right. So I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope it's brought to light. Maybe some error, maybe some truth. Um, but you should always tell the truth about yourself. And what's the truth? You are the house of God. You are a house church. <laughs> Sounds funny, but you think of a building. Uh, you should always, 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 always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? House church. <laughs> house church. You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. And you are awesome. So always tell the truth about yourself. Always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.